Glory to God. Yeah, that's beautiful, isn't it? And we sing, and He blesses us, and He loves us, and He thrills us, and He keeps us, and He captures us, and we are thankful to be His children. It is great to see each of you here this morning, both members and visitors alike. We thank God for your blessing us and being here with us today. Let's go to God, please, in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do praise your holy and divine name and thank you. We thank you so very much for your kindness, for your compassion. Lord God, we, we state hallowed be your great and amazing name. For you are an incredible God and we are so thankful that you know us, that you allowed us to know you. We bless, Lord God, you this morning and pray that you'll bless our worship, that it will and has been pleasing and acceptable in your sight. That all things, Lord God, that will and have been said and done, will and have been pleasing unto thee. Please help us, Lord God, to keep our minds focused on Jesus as we honor your name and lift you up. In Jesus' holy and precious name we do pray and thank thee. It be thy will. Amen. Please turn back to the book of Judges. We are continuing uh, in our, on our series of uh, Jesus Christ revealed, God showing us uh, the greatness of our Savior, our Lord and Savior. It's all about Jesus, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I pray this morning when you leave this place that, that you'll just go to your, your favorite restaurant or wherever you're going after our worship and you'll just praise the name of Jesus. Jesus, our Messiah and our Lord. Now, I've already brought a lesson uh, some time ago on the angel of the Lord, but because we're going over, we're going one book at a time, I need to bring the angel of the Lord up again. Just a few short verses. You can go back and review that if you choose. But the angel of the Lord, here Jesus in uh, the book of Judges, uh, appears to both Manoah, his wife, and also to Gideon to encourage them. Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, please. Then Gideon went in and prepared a kid, an unleavened bread from an ephah, a flour. And he put the meat in the basket and the broth and put on the broth, excuse me, and, excuse me, the pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still an Oprah of the Eberzites. Here's a question. Why, turn to Exodus 33. Why the statement, do not worry, do not fear, you will not die. <laughs> After seeing the awesome presence of the angel of the Lord. Well, when you go back to Exodus chapter 33, see, God has made it clear to us in the scriptures that no man can see the Father and live. But Jesus 
the manifestation of the Godhead who came to the earth as the angel of the Lord, came as the Messiah whom we know, Yeshua, our Lord and our God, Jehovah God. And if you will, verse 19, the Bible says, He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And so God says to, uh, to Gideon, don't worry, you will not die. It's not the Father, but rather the Son, Jesus. Back to Judges, uh, if you will. In fact, go to John, I'm sorry. John chapter 1 and verse 18. So here's what God did. It was so amazing. I'm going to come back to this uh, here shortly. But he came to the earth, right? God the Son came to the earth to, the, to reveal the Father to us. In John 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And so Jesus came to the earth. Back to Judges, please. Chapter 13. He came to the earth to not only show us how to serve and honor the Godhead, if you will, but he showed us also how to die for what we believe and know to be true. To live for God, to die for God, to sacrifice your life for God, for the only God. And so here God comes down and he's, he's just so wonderful and so amazing and everyone stands in awe. I wonder today if we stand in awe of the greatness of God. Think about Manoah for just a moment. Judges chapter 13 and verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you that we may prepare a kid for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Yahweh, right? Jehovah. Elohim. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Now listen to the next verse. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? I'm not sure what your version says there, but the idea is that the name of God is incomprehensible. Why are you asking my name? And he goes on to speak in verse 19. So Manoah took the kid with the grain offering and offered it on the rock of the Lord, to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah or his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. 
God manifested as the angel of the Lord comes to the earth, revealed to us in the book of Judges and many other passages of the Old Testament. Turn to, to the book of Ruth, the very next book. The book of Ruth now. So Judges, now the book of Ruth, and we see that Jesus is represented in Boaz. Chapter 4, please. Who redeems Ruth, the widow. Chapter 4, verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the, of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. And the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. And so that redemption story, if you will, turn to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. We find that Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. He is the redeemer of all of mankind. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. And there the Bible says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold for your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Here's what's important. When you're going back to the Old Testament and God is introducing words to us and ideas to us, they have a significant meaning that carries through all the way into the New Testament. And God gives us definitions for these words. And these words sometimes, as we're reading now, represent even God himself, the redeemer of all of mankind. And so that's where we got that word from and how we understood or understand that word way back from the Old Testament, carrying it over into the new. Acts chapter 2, please. Boaz was the grandfather, just to bring another point or idea out of this passage uh, Boaz was the grandfather of David, who was the descendant, if you will. Jesus comes through that line of Boaz. What a blessing to us. What a blessing to us that God has put in order all of these, all of these passages, all of these, these accounts in the Old Testament that give us a greater depth of understanding of the greatness of God, that God Truly, when the Bible tells us that God had this in his mind from before creation, that God shows us from the very beginning of time that he was doing all of this, holding all of this together to produce and bring forth the Christ so that we might be saved. God is amazing. Verse 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. It all happened just the way God said that it would. I want you to think about thousands of years ago. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Thousands of years ago, God put this plan in motion and there was nothing that Satan nor mankind could do to stop it. And God says there'll forever be a man seated on the throne of David. And when he made that promise, he was speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
In verse 30, 31 of Luke chapter, chapter 1. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now go back to 1 Samuel, please, chapter 2, because we're still in, we're looking in Judges, and, and, and now we're, we're passing through Ruth, and now we're getting into the book of Samuel. And when we get into the book of Samuel, I want us to look for just a moment at chapter 2 and just one small passage. Now, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm not bringing out every, every point that uh, is given to us about Jesus, but just trying to highlight this so we can get through all the books of the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 10. Listen to what's written. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Anointed. The horn of his anointed. Turn back to Luke chapter 1. So we're back in the Old Testament, we're reading it, we're going, well, what does that mean? Or, or what, is there some kind of significance to the idea of the horn of his anointed? And then if you will, in Luke chapter 1, in verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Who is it speaking of? Jesus, right? It's all in the Bible. It's all through this. You just keep reading and God brings up these, these words and ideas and thoughts. And he's talking about Jesus, Jesus. Brother, we've got to get this in our minds. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We have to get that name deep within our hearts to give us the strength that we need to continue to fight the good fight of faith that we win and there's nothing that Satan can do about it. Luke chapter 2. In 2 Samuel, Jesus, the son of David, rules as king on the throne of David. Now, we've been reading about this, right? We read Luke chapter 1. Now, chapter 2, just a little more information beginning at verse 29. There the Bible says, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said, to marry his mother. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. God has brought to us salvation. Second Samuel, please, chapter 7. And you'll see over and over again the repetition of Jesus over and over and over and over again. God continues to put the name in our hearts and in our minds. Jesus said, unless you believe that I'm he, you will die in your sins. 
Brethren, we got to get to know Jesus, right? We have to get to know Jesus. Second Samuel, chapter 7. Look, if you will, at verse 10. And I will also appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. And when your days are completed and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. Who do you think that's talking about? Jesus. Matthew chapter 1. The descendant of David that God spoke of. It has a twofold connotation. So the descendants continue on, but you know that uh, Israel, they were carried off into captivity, no longer having a king. And then the Jews, if you will, Babylon, the, the lower kingdom, if you will, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin were carried off in the Babylonian captivity, no longer had a king. When God spoke of this king, he spoke of the Messiah, he spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 1 and verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of of Abraham, God is emphatically emphasizing to us that Jesus is that son, that promised child to a lost and dying world for salvation's sake. When we get over to the book of Kings, stay, stay in Matthew 1 for just a moment. There's a great question that's asked. And I want to look at that question and then kind of begin to put some things together here. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. What does that, what does that really mean to us? Let's turn back to 1 Kings uh, chapter 8. What does, that really, what does that really mean, God with us? I mean, how important, how significant is that? And you think about uh, the many times we read the scriptures, we read that passage, and we've, we've glanced over that passage, and it, it has some meaning to us. And maybe later in our, in our Christian walk of faith, it has, it has more meaning. But I want you to understand the depth of what that means. God with us. There was a great question asked when Solomon built the great temple, right? The great temple. And this temple was amazing. And many people came all over the world to come look at this temple. This temple that was the dwelling place, if you will, of God. But then Solomon asks a question in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 26. The Bible says, Now therefore, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be confirmed, which thou hast spoken to thy servant, my father, David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. 
will God really come down here? Jesus is the answer to that question. Back to John chapter 1, please, and verse 14. Emmanuel, God is with us. Will God truly come down and dwell amongst a wicked people such as we? Yes. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who would have believed it? Solomon couldn't believe it. The very thought that God would come and dwell in this, in this temple, the thought that God would come down to the earth, and yes, He did. Save us. And as great as Solomon was, Matthew, please, chapter 12, as great as Solomon was, he, if you will, became a, a microcosm, if you will, of the glory of God because he was the greatest of the great, right? As far as the king, he made money like nothing, right? He made silver like, like rocks, like stones. He has so much gold, so much wealth. He was protected. He was the man of God, an amazing man of God, a chosen man of God. And yet, when Jesus comes on the earth, he makes this statement in Matthew 12 and verse 42. He says, The queen of the south shall rise up with his generation at the judgment and shall condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus. Do you think they would have... What? what could, who could be greater than Solomon? Jesus. Solomon, the erector of the temple. First, first Kings chapter, chapter 8. I want to go back and take another look at this for just a sec. He built this temple by, by, the, by the mercy of God. His father uh, started collecting the goods to construct the temple. And um, at the temple, something interesting happens. The conclusion of the temple's construction, they bring something into the temple to make the temple holy. 1 Kings 8 and verse 1. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the father's household of the sons of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. And then verse 7 says, For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles from above. Now, I want to go back to Exodus 25 to gain a better understanding of, of this, this Ark of the Covenant that's brought in. So, the atonement for the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, the, the angels, the cherubim spread their wings and, and their heads face slightly down toward the mercy seat, if you will, or the Ark of the Covenant. And when they look down, they look into this box. And inside the box is Aaron's rod, butted, uh, the, the manna, uh, and uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the Bible, the Ten Commandments. 
And, and here's the thing about the cherubim. When you go back and do a little study about the cherubim, you find that the cherubim are the angels of uh, judgment, if you want to call it that. The angels of judgment. And when they look down at the Ten Commandments, and they look at Israel, what, what do they see? The broken covenant of God. Right? When they look down at the Ten Commandments, and they see humanity, they see the broken covenant of God. And the cherubim are the ones who would, if you will, inflict justice upon a world of struggle. But there's something that blocks the view of the cherubim. As the cherubim look down, there's this lid that's placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It's called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat continually has sprinkled blood upon it. Let's go grab it, if you will, in Exodus 25 and verse 18. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, make them of hammered work at the two ends of a mercy seat, and make one cherub at the one end and one cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. So imagine that there's one cherub on this side and there's one cherub on that side. And then in the middle, in the center is the mercy seat. Picking up, if you will. Where am I? Verse 19. And make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. And the cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark. You shall put the testimony, which I shall give you. And you read that and you say, all right, that's just Old Testament stuff, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. You see, because between the cherubim and when you see that mercy, that's Jesus. Now watch this. Go all the way forward. A few thousand years. And there's a man, the Messiah, Yeshua. And they execute him. They put him on a cross. And he dies. And he's buried. But he's resurrected. And I want just for a moment for us to go inside of the tomb where Jesus lay. Turn please to John chapter 20. And when you get inside of that tomb, we know that, that uh, the, the apostles came and the, the ladies came first. And when you open that tomb up and you look inside of that tomb, there's the Messiah, if you will, lying prostrate. But on the first day of the week, he got up. But let me show you what the picture image is inside of the tomb. John 20, verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. One on one end and one on the other. God 
is trying to show us Jesus. Now let's close this out. John chapter 1 and verse 15. Just to solidify the understanding of mercy. Verse 15 says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And what does grace bring? Mercy. God is full of mercy. This morning will you accept his mercy? This morning if you're a child of God and you're struggling in your heart and you just need to repent and ask him to forgive you, will you receive his mercy? This morning if you're not a child of God, will you surrender to him in the waters of salvation? Having heard his word and believed it and being willing to have godly sorrow or repentance in your heart, Confessing his name before men and being baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. This morning, will you receive that great mercy of God? The lesson is yours. If there's anything we can do to help in any way, please make it known. While together we stand and sing our song.